Hi, I'm Alan Knox, and thanks for listening to the Lamp and Light Podcast. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This podcast seeks to let the Bible shine into our hearts and minds by hearing the word preached. This first season is a collection of sermons from the early chapters of the book of Psalms that I preached at Crossroad Christian Church in McKinney, Texas. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So if you want to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 6. One of the things that is a big, um, a big issue in our lives is health care. And I was even reading this, uh, looking at a commentary, and it made mention, this commentary was several years old, so I would suspect that this is probably different now. But it, it made mention of the fact that health care overall makes up 10% of our gross national product. Uh, so out of everything that's made in this country, 10% uh, is, goes into the maintenance of our health. And it might be even larger than that now. But it reminds us of just the simple reality that, um, that we, we all have health struggles from time to time. And then as we, especially as we get older, <clears throat> and sometimes even before that, we have major health concerns. And that was certainly true during the time of, uh, that David was writing these psalms. So Psalm 6 reflects some of this. We don't, again, we don't know the context because there's not really indication, any indication of when this was written other than just the, the poetry itself. But it certainly seems as though uh, the psalmist, which very possibly might be David, is going through some kind of major health problem. And uh, we just recognize that just by the way that healing is mentioned in this. So in some ways, we're going to talk about what it, what it looks like when we go through major health issues and how we turn to the Lord during that time. So let's read now from Psalm chapter 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So one of the reasons that I I tend to think that this is a psalm that David wrote is in part because this seems to be a psalm that a king would write. Uh, Think about it even from this point of view. Even in our election right now, if, if one of the candidates 
has some kind of health issue, then <clears throat> the other side, the other party, will try to use that to exploit you know, their illness and say, well, they're not qualified to serve in the office because of, you know, because of their health. And, and this, this kind of reads that way. As you think about King David, uh, if he goes through some kind of serious health concern, uh, he has people around him, people who are his enemies, who would say things like, well, you know, uh, this could be the end for David. Or this, you know, this, there is a certain amount of political instability that comes about that seems to be reflected in this psalm whenever a ruler or a, uh, an official of some kind gets sick. So I think that's the context, is David, David gets sick or gets ill or has some kind of injury that is life-threatening enough that he is, is concerned about whether or not he's going to make it. And you see that in just even the statement that he mentions the possibility of his death. And the, his enemies, his political enemies around him, see this as maybe an indication of weakness. So we're going to talk about then how David moves from this place of desperation to this place of confidence in God. Because that's how this psalm reads. It starts out, you know, with, in verse 1 it says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. And it ends in verse 10 by David saying that all his enemies shall be greatly ashamed. So there's a movement here from the depths of despair to the heights of confidence. And so we should talk about uh, how it is that David reaches that place in his life. So we begin, number one, with a prayer of desperation. So begin by talking about in verses 1 and 2, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Um, this is obviously a prayer from a place of desperation. Uh, I, think, I, I think the idea of... Uh, David's bones being troubled is not so much some kind of a, you know, arthritis problem or some kind of indication that he's experiencing pain. As much as it is, you would, I think we even today we would think of this as our bones being the very center of our body. So, you know, I think we still even say sometimes, you know, oh man, this just hurts down to my bones. You know, this the idea it goes all the way through from the skin all the way to to the very center of your body. And I think that's what David is talking about here. So this is really clearly something that is uh, overwhelming. And the fact that he says, heal me, O Lord, would indicate that this is something that is physical. Now, we don't know, and it is possible at least, that David has committed some kind of sin and this physical illness or injury is in some way an act of discipline on God's part. But that's not necessarily the case. 
it is possible that David is saying, <clears throat> God, I as a sinner deserve your wrath and I deserve your discipline, but I need your mercy. It is, it's not easy to hear for us, I think, that we are all sinners. But the Bible affirms that all human beings deserve God's punishment. And that, that fact frames how we approach God. We do not approach God uh, as physical equals, <clears throat> certainly, that is, we, we do not imagine we are as strong as God, and so we approach him sort of on a negotiating basis. But we also should not imagine that we are God's moral equals. God, I'm a, I'm a good person, you're a good God, we can work something out here. Instead, we should see ourselves, and it is consistent in Scripture for those who are the most holy to see themselves in God's presence as sinners. Even when we are the most desperate, with our lives hanging in the balance, we should be aware that we deserve God's wrath, but we need His mercy. And that is how we approach God. Not entitled, but humbled by our weakness and by our need. So what is it that makes this prayer so desperate? <clears throat> Um, I, I want to at least mention this. I've hinted at this a few times in some sermons, and, and I, I want to start to get us thinking along this line. One of the things that concerns me about uh, Christians today and us as Christians today is, is the idea of when we have a need to try to get as many people as possible praying for that need. I, I think that's bad theology. The idea that somehow more people would be more convincing to God, that as though God is sort of taking a tally of, well, you know, if you can get 100,000 people, you know, it's like on Facebook, if you can get 100,000 likes, then that's a big deal. But anything under that is not really, I'm not going to consider answering that prayer. That doesn't seem to me how God responds to prayer. What God responds to is earnestness or a sincerity in prayer. And sincerity in prayer oftentimes comes about because of desperation. When, when you're not just praying for something because you would like it to happen, but when you're praying because you desperately need it to happen. Verse 3 says, My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, you can almost get a sense of David not being able to, he starts a sentence and, and just can't finish it. But you, O Lord, and then it just stops and says, how long? How long is this going to go on? The thing that makes our prayers desperate, it seems to me, is time. In particular, the length of time between when we start suffering and when God delivers us. So 
when you, when you get sick and it just sort of hangs on. And that the longer that time span is, the worse we begin to feel. Our, that's when our soul becomes troubled. I mean, we all recognize, you know, when you get some sort of 24-hour bug. And, I mean, you know, especially one of those 24-hour stomach bugs, and you just are violently sick. But in your mind, you think, oh, this is really miserable, but this is, this is probably one of those 24-hour things. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go through my body, and then it's going to be over. And so you recognize, hey, this is not the end. This is not, you know, I mean, you may feel like it's the end, but, but this is not the end. This is a short, this happens to all people. You get sick sometimes. And you get really sick for a short period of time. But when you get sick and it keeps hanging on, keeps hanging on, the longer it lasts, the more it seems that it will never come to an end. And one of the beautiful things about the Psalms is that they express what, what we really feel. When you go through a long illness... The psalm, this psalm in particular speaks not only to you, but it speaks for you. you. Get the sense of what makes your prayers desperate here is, God, this has been going on for a long and I'm wondering if it's ever going to go away. The other thing that makes the prayer desperate is that the other side of the time equation, not only how long the illness has lasted, but the sense that time is running out. So verses 4 and 5 says, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? So in other words, David's thinking there is a real possibility I may not live through this. My time might be limited. And that motivates his prayer. The prayers that God hears are the earnest prayers of his desperate people in need of his work. Now, we need to talk a moment about what David says here, the idea that in death there is no remembrance of you. The Christian view of life after death, the idea of resurrection, is not revealed, at least not fully revealed, until the New Testament. It is present in the Old Testament, but it's not clearly spelled out. I believe it's uh, Daniel 12, 1 that talks about the um, resurrection of the, the just and the unjust, that those who are righteous are resurrected into life, uh, those who are not righteous are resurrected unto eternal punishment. <clears throat> so... It is there in the Old Testament, but it's not clearly spelled out. But I think David's point is this. It's not that, I, I think David is one of those who believes that after he dies, God is going, you know, he's going to go to God. He's going to experience some kind of continuing of his life with God. It's not clearly spelled out, but I think David is one of those who hopes for life after death. But I think his view here is... Um, one of, it's one of two options. On the one hand, if God heals David, then, then people will rejoice. Not David, including, you know, and also the people around him will rejoice. If David dies, 
he goes, he goes to the grave. That's what Sheol is. Sheol is the place where dead people go. Um, and people won't praise the Lord for that. So I, I, think he, I don't think he's saying, you know, hey, God, if I die, then I'm never going to be able to rejoice in you again. I think what he's saying is, if you heal me, there's going to be rejoicing. If I'm not healed and I die, there's not going to be rejoicing. So God, nobody's going to praise you here if I die. That's part of the prayer that he's offering. And this prayer is made more desperate by the reality that time is running out. Suffering can only be carried for so long before death comes, and the psalmist at least feels as though he is near that point. Now, what we learn from this first part of the psalm is that our prayers can contain uncertainty. So I want you to see this really clearly. This is not, David does not make this statement that is all of faith and none of uncertainty. There is real uncertainty about what's going to happen in his life and about what God is going to do. And it is in the coming to God... that David finds the confidence that God is with him. So I want to encourage you that in the midst of, you know, so oftentimes when we go through really hard things, we, we, you know, we get sick or we get some kind of disease uh, or we're injured in some way and it goes on for a period of time and at first we are diligent to pray about it and after it's gone on for a while, we just sort of figure... Well, I guess, you know, this is, God's not going to do anything here. And so we draw not towards God, but you know, away from God. Sometimes, and we've all probably met people who have, whether because of, of physical illness or injury, or maybe um, mental illness or injury that is the you know relationship goes bad a marriage comes to an end or whatever the whatever the situation is people become angry with god and so withdraw from him believing that if they have doubts and uncertainty certainly they shouldn't draw near to god in that time but that's exactly when we should draw near to god Psalm goes on to talk about, and this is number two, the depth of our pain. Look at verses six and seven. I am weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Now, this is poetic language. You're not supposed to interpret it literally. He is not crying so much that his bed is flooded. But you, you can get the idea very quickly. Uh, there is a lot of weeping and moaning and hurting. And, uh, and, and, and to make matters worse, there is a grieving over this. And there is uh, a sense of David being surrounded by his enemies who are looking at his physical weakness as an opportunity for some kind of political advantage. So this is, 
you know, this is a lousy situation. This is a desperate situation. This is a, the, a time period in David's life where his life is filled with pain and tears. There, there are some passages in the Bible, it seems to me, that give us very little in the way of theology, but speak to us about a, at a profound level about our humanity. And I think this is one of those passages where you don't, you don't in these two verses, you don't learn really anything about God. You learn about David and what he feels in the situation that he is in. And I think probably all of us have gone through times in our lives where we can relate to what David feels. That sense of weariness, that sense of desperation, that sense of being overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life. I think that's what you learn from this. Is if nothing else, you take away from this, here is David, one of the heroes of the Bible, one of the men that God interacts with directly and makes these wonderful promises. David, who is uh, of the lineage, he is, he is the forefather of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a, a big part, I mean, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the plan of salvation You've kind of got Abraham and David who are the big names of God's plan of salvation as he brings it about in the Old Testament. So David is, is a, he is famous, I guess you would say, in biblical terms. But here he is. And you can almost visualize him laying on his bed, weeping at the situation that he finds himself in. And we, we all can relate to that. When it seems as though life is falling apart. So here again is the, the lesson here. Um, at no point does David run away from God or give up on God or turn away from God. In fact, we're moving in a progression here where David, as he reflects on the circumstances that he's in, um, he, he's in a bad situation. He calls out to God and then, you know, he goes to bed at night and he cries himself to sleep. So his situation is not getting better, it's getting worse. And that, it, that in a strange way, I guess, encourages us that that our most desperate circumstances do not reflect an absence of God in our lives. So this is David, the one to whom God makes great promises. It's to David, he makes the promise that out of David's lineage, there's going to be a king who's going to be a forever king, talking about Jesus Christ. God does not turn away in our most desperate times. God is not threatened by our most desperate times. God does not look upon the weakness that we feel in those desperate times and see us as somehow sub-Christian. We have this dramatic turning here. 
the end of the psalm. Verses 8 through 10. Here's David finding his confidence. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So this is a very amazing statement here about the fact that David's weeping and his praying have not gone unnoticed. God has heard the prayers and seen the tears. And the psalmist is aware of being surrounded by enemies who seek, his, uh, seek the advantage because of his weakness. But there is a confident, confident, confidence that these enemies will not have the last word because God answers prayer. And you know, that's been one of the themes of this early part of the book of Psalms, that God answers prayer. And so you see here, uh, one of the big aspects of our worship is that God hears what we do. He notices the situations that we're in. And as we call upon Him, we can have a high confidence that God hears our prayers and answers them. And so I relate this then to the whole aspect of healing. Because it seems to me that in the church today, we have, we have sort of a, a, a troubled understanding of healing. Here, I think, is the attitude that we are to have about physical healing. I think we are, first of all, to believe that God answers prayer for healing today. Just because there are some weird people out there who do weird things does not mean that we should forget about praying for the sick. So we should renew our commitment to pray with expectation that God hears our prayers and will heal us. So that's that's first thing. Second thing is we should have a deep theological understanding that all of our prayers for healing will be ultimately answered at the return of Christ. So so what that does, it, it kind of frames it in two ways. One, when we pray for healing in the circumstance that we're in right now and healing does not happen, it tells us That for whatever period of time we go through this suffering, there is purpose behind it. Because we know that God is going to heal us. So we go through this hardship of physical suffering and illness with hope. So we have the idea, first of all, that we should pray for healing. We should believe that God heals today. But we should not believe that God heals instantaneously every time. And we should not try to tie it to anything like faith. That is, you know, well, if the person has enough faith, then they'll be healed. And if they don't, they won't be healed. That's, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God has promised healing ultimately at the return of Christ and temporarily at times according to his will in this earthly life. So, I mean, we just again, this is a silly little thing, but just recognize that every person 
who has ever been prayed for by Christians and been physically healed eventually got sick from something else or, or died from something else. So their healing was temporary. So even when the, the prayer is answered, it is answered temporarily. The ultimate answer is at the end. So that's the first two points. God answers prayer for healing, but the ultimate answer is found in the return of Christ. The third aspect of this is that our, our healing well, I, I guess I can say it this way. Our trust in Christ is at at the head of all of this. So there's not a um, self-centeredness that comes about. In other words, maybe I could say it this way. Jesus is at the center of all of our prayers, not healing. So there is a submission that comes in our, in our prayers. We pray for healing, expecting Christ to work on our behalf, but knowing that he knows what is best for us in that circumstance. This is, I think, one of the frustrating things of being a child in God. It's a frustrating thing about being a child, period. Um, you know, think about when you were growing up and you would... You would ask your mom or dad uh, to, to buy you candy. And, you know, let's be honest, as a kid, um, if, they, if you thought they would answer yes every time, you would ask for candy for breakfast and lunch and dinner. You know, ice cream, cake, whatever. But your parents know that would destroy your body. And so when you, when you ask, hey, you know, uh, can I, I have some candy for breakfast this morning? And they say no. On the one hand, you feel a certain frustration because you think, ah, oh, I, wish, I wish I was, you know, hey, when I, you, you might remember saying something like this. When I grow up, I'm going to have candy for breakfast every day. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to do it my way. There's a certain amount of that that's true. You know, we, we want that freedom. But as you grow older, you begin to recognize there was a wisdom in your parents' decisions that you could not see as a child. And I think that's part of how we should approach healing, uh, our understanding of healing in the Bible. When someone is sick in our church, the Bible teaches us that we are to pray for their healing. But we are to pray with understanding that God knows what is best in every circumstance and has a will and a purpose and a plan that he is bringing about that is for, for in our best interest. And we are, even in our frustration that we wish we were in control, we are to trust him. So while, uh, maybe I could just say it this way, while... We should not say to people, if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. 
we should recognize that faith, the understanding of faith, plays a part in our understanding of healing. That is, ultimately, we trust in God for what happens in our lives. So that's a, the three points that I want to make about physical healing. We should pray for physical healing. Uh, we, we, um, we should not tie it to faith in the sense of saying, well, if you have enough faith, you're healed. We should recognize that, number two, um, our ultimate healing comes at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ when we enter the kingdom of God. And three, Jesus is at the center of our prayers for healing. So he is the Lord in every circumstance. So I, I just you know, want you to kind of take away from that this understanding of it, you know, when we go through these hard times uh, and we feel very desperate, that desperation is part of what leads us to God. It is the fact that David feels so desperate that he's uh, metaphorically flooding his bed with tears that brings him to the confidence that he has that God will hear his prayers. So when you are going through those hard times, God is doing good things in your life. But even though that is true, we are still to pray for healing and trust that God will do what is right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Lamp and Light Podcast. If you want to be updated when new episodes are available, make sure you subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review so that more people can find this podcast in the future.